What are some of the top emerging cyber threats facing the healthcare sector, and what can be done to address that? I'm Marianne Kolbesak-Begee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Evan Francine, founder and CEO of security consultancy FR Secure. So Evan, in your work with clients in the healthcare sector, what are the top concerns you have in terms of their preparedness to deal with the evolving cyber threat landscape, and what threats are most worrisome to you right now and why? Well, it's it's the constant evolution. I think healthcare, our healthcare clients are really struggling to just stay abreast of everything that's sort of going on in our industry, whether it be a new medical device, you know, exploit or vulnerability or you know, like the DICOM standard that you wrote about, it's very difficult for them to stay up given all the other challenges that they're they're facing. So I think they're struggling. So, Evan, as you mentioned, medical devices is sort of um, a key area these days, especially. And there's been a couple of reports recently by security researchers that have identified vulnerabilities in medical imaging. In one case, researchers found that they could trick doctors into making the wrong diagnosis, potentially, by installing malware to either plant fake cancerous nodes or to remove real cancerous nodes in CT images. And then in the other report that you also referenced just now, researchers said that a flaw in the DICOM medical image file format could be exploited to implant malware that sits in the image and alongside other patient data without triggering suspicion of clinicians. So what do you think about these potential threats? How serious are these issues and any suggestions for healthcare entities? They're serious. You know, anytime there's a vulnerability like this, certainly one that, that sort of more directly affects patients. The misdiagnosis, you know, I can only imagine the angst that that would cause and vice versa, hiding something that, you know, that maybe is bad from the patient. And then as you mentioned, there are all sorts of other types of attacks that potentially could be used using that same vulnerability. So I think healthcare entities definitely are concerned about it. But even you know above that, some of the healthcare entities that I've, I've spoken with recently, they're not even sure where all their medical devices are. So I think even taking it back to just an asset management program, what am I trying to protect is still a concern for many of them. And when it comes to asset management of medical devices, what are some of the primary problems that organizations have? And what are your recommendations in terms of getting that under control, but being also proactive in addressing the various security concerns of that big variety of products that are often in their environments? They're sort of stuck in a catch-22. So they may scan the network and do an inventory of their medical devices, but if they don't have the control over the network or control over their IT assets, it's easy for another one to be plugged in or acquired that they that they don't know about. So, you know, it's keeping that constant. And then another struggle that they have is these medical devices all go through FDA validation. So they're oftentimes not able to do anything about vulnerabilities that are found in those medical devices. So they're working with the vendors, the you know, the makers of the medical devices, and oftentimes you can't even put antivirus on some of these systems. So then they have to get more creative. They have to do things like maybe network isolation, trying to isolate those medical devices from other things. But it's a, it's a never-ending challenge for them. They're struggling with, one, just trying to identify the medical devices, and then once they do find them, how do they protect the rest of the network from potentially a vulnerability there. 
So when you work with healthcare entities, you mentioned asset management of medical devices is a frustration. Any other top frustrations when it comes to dealing with legacy medical device, cybersecurity issues, any advice that you have for them in terms of dealing with those issues? So, you know, if your hands are tied on a medical device where, for whatever reason, the, the manufacturer of the medical device won't allow you to patch or update because of, you know, maybe FDA validation requirements, because the FDA is really concerned about data integrity. They're starting to come around, I think, a little bit on also protecting the confidentiality of this data. But if a medical device has been validated, then we can't make changes to that medical device. So you need to think outside of the box a little bit. So our advice is often, well, can we isolate on the network those medical devices so that, one, ingress, so can an attacker get to those medical devices potentially to compromise or exploit the vulnerability? And if they can, how do we restrict? So assume that that medical device gets compromised. Can we keep it there? Meaning, is the network isolated enough to where we're monitoring sort of egress traffic? So it's trying to think of new ways to protect against vulnerabilities, even if I can't patch them. Now, aside from medical devices, are there other top cyber threats that are giving your healthcare clients difficulties these days, whether it's ransomware or phishing attacks or other sorts of things that are going on? Certainly ransomware attacks are a concern. Those are usually coming through email, so that brings us to the human part of information security, the training and awareness. So phishing attacks is still, based on what we see, is still the number one method of compromise because it's very easy for attackers and it's an easy way in. So not taking the eye off the ball there, but we've also seen, depending on where you're at in the healthcare industry, if you're a provider, budget is a really big concern right now because there's not a lot of profit to play with. So CEOs of these healthcare organizations have to make tough decisions on where they're going to spend those dollars so spending it on where my most significant risk is. So it brings us back to when the security rule was written for HIPAA, when it talks about a risk analysis, it brings us all the way back to that again. Am I doing a risk analysis that identifies where my most significant risk is so that I spend those dollars wisely? So trying to make it more of a business decision and less of a, an IT decision because we just don't have the dollars. And now on the payer side of things, margins are a little looser, so there's more money to be spent. But it's just being really wise about where you're spending your dollars. Oftentimes, you can make some adjustments and some implement some new controls, some new processes. It doesn't require money. Those are the best. Evan, when it goes to phishing attacks, as you mentioned, you know, often it's the human element there. Are there any technical controls that you see your healthcare clients sometimes lacking in terms of protecting these systems from being accessed, whether it's their identity and access management strategies, uh, the use of multi-factor authentication, you know, where are these healthcare clients sometimes lacking that you think they could step it up in order to help avoid falling victim to some of these phishing attacks? We have a big no-no on every client, healthcare also. Anything that has ex that's externally accessible that has multi-factor authentication should be a big red flag. Because if we assume that an attacker does successfully phish somebody and they get a username and password, can they use that username and password to actually access the network? So if we have single-factor authentication, for instance, you know, Outlook Web Access or VPN access, something like that. And in some cases, we even see RDP, you know, a remote desktop protocol system sitting on the internet with single-factor authentication. Those are big red flags. So 
Those are some controls, trying to limit the avenues into the environment should credentials be compromised. So multi-factor authentication is is a, a big win there. Other things, when you think about it, we oftentimes you know, sort of blame the user for clicking on these links. But from a bigger picture, it's us that delivers these emails to their inboxes. So if we can look for technologies that make us better at filtering out phishing emails before they ever get to client's inbox, and there are a number of products on the internet that are in the market that you can get for that. Uh, there's also some sandboxing technologies that show promise, uh, which means that if I clicked on a link, the, the technology would see that I'm clicking on a link that goes into a login page and sort of isolate that behavior. So there's some promise there. Thanks, Evan. I've been speaking to Evan Francine. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.